Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Friday edition is here. Paul Koharski checks in with us in about an hour and a half live from Titans training camp where Bud Dupree uh, elevated off of the physically unable to perform list. Uh, that is great news for a Titans team that is desperate for pass rush. We'll get the very latest on Dupree's debut. Caleb Farley also out there. So uh, I believe Josh Reynolds also returned to practice at wide receiver. So good news on the injury front for the Titans. The very latest there coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour. That is at 1230 Central Time at 12 o'clock, right at noon. VolQuest Power Hour with Brent Hubbs and Austin Price. The Vols also in the practice field. Uh, today jam-packed with football. Chad, good morning. Good morning. And we've got actual practices to talk about with the Tennessee Vols today. Yeah. Uh, three of them now in the books officially. The uh, third one just ended a, a short time ago uh, with a lot of players and coaches meeting with the media right now. We'll get a chance to talk with Brent Hubbs and Austin Price coming up a little bit later. Uh, plenty of big stories out there. The Olympics coming to an end this weekend. Uh, I feel like that second week of the uh, Olympics always gets uh, short-shifted a bit. Mm -hmm with swimming and gymnastics, the big TV draw in the first week. Um, what a story with Allison Felix. She gets her 10th medal with a bronze, and over the weekend she'll be in the 4x400-meter relay to close out her fifth Olympics. And if they medal, she will have 11 medals, which will be one more than Carl Lewis, the most decorated uh, track and field American Olympian When is that? When history. does she run? Over the weekend at some point. I, I think it's tomorrow. Uh, but I'm not completely sure about that. That's but, cool. Uh, that's, that's a really cool story. You're I think keeping it's up one... with the medal count overall, too. Yeah, yeah. So the Americans, uh, and I'll, I'll pull up the exact number, but they're safe in terms of overall medals. Uh, they're going to win. At last check, and I'll get an update, they were five behind China uh, in, the, in the medal count. And uh, that's something to watch. Um, look, we... Uh, We've mentioned it, it's still five right okay. now. <clears throat> it's weird with the time difference and everything else. Yes. But China's at 36 golds, U.S. at 31. Overall, the United States has 98 medals, China has 79, and then uh, Russia has 62 and 17 golds. But China could have to drop a few of these, right? Is that the story? Well, um, so, you know, China had the, the whole deal with the swim team uh, where some of them weren't allowed to compete. Some were, had to turn over medals in a previous Olympics. And there's uh, some rumors going around that there could be some other medals <laughs> overturned because of China. Here's what's striking to me about this. Outside of the host nation in Japan, you look at who the United States is surrounded by, in Great Britain also, I'll put in that group, but in the medal count now in the Olympics. It's China and it's Russia. The U.S. once again has become the lone democracy that's there. The rest is totalitarian-type government around them with China and, and uh, Russia. So um, I, I know that the Olympics are a time when politics are, are set aside. That's the spirit of the games. You, you, you compete for country, but you set the politics of it aside. That is something, though, for me to keep in mind. And I'll turn this into Allison Felix and her story and the American women Olympians. It is remarkable when you see the success of our women in the United States. And it really is, you know, in, in a time where I think often you hear the horror stories of women being treated poorly, of awful things going on in this country, when you look around the world, I can't think of a, a nation that's even close in terms of how well and how equal women are treated from an athletic standpoint in the United States. You can mark it back to Title IX. You can say whatever you want about it. Bottom line is, our women dominate in sports across the world. 
And to me, it is emblematic of women given an opportunity to compete in athletics in the United States. And their talent is harnessed at a, at a young age. And it's a free country. It's a democracy. This is not an 11-year-old Chinese girl being forced to be in gymnastics. Or six, six-year-old. Yeah, and, and yeah. changing her birth certificate right, right, so right, she's right. of age to participate. This is a totally different thing. My buddy sent me a story from the New York Times about a Chinese female bodybuilder that was forcibly pumped with testosterone as she was competing. She has now grown a beard and lives in a bathhouse in China and is homeless. Because She's of all the drugs, right now. Her because name's of, David Reed. Yeah, because of all the drugs that have happened. And spoiler alert, David Reed is a gold medal Olympian in uh, female weightlifting, uh, which is amazing. Reed would probably move to China just to win a gold What's medal fun, if that was the case. It's not a funny story. It's a, the backstory with Reed. He actually did heavy lifting. Like yeah. he, he was a can we say bodybuilder? Reed is that accurate? Yes. Or just a weight. This, no, it was bodybuilding. It was bodybuilding. It wasn't powerlifting. It wasn't powerlifting. It was bodybuilding. World's strongest man. Did you turn over any telephone poles uh, doing this? Not in competition. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, bodybuilder and testosterone. David yes. Reed. Yes. yes. Well, and China knows something about <laughs> testosterone with their uh, female athletes, and that's I'm not even joking about that. Uh, that's been an issue with yeah. Russia, with China. Yep. Uh, it's been an enormous, and I'm not to say that you know there's no doping in the United States and that we're completely free of athletes trying to get an advantage. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I would really like everyone just to take a moment and look at the medal count for U.S. Women's Olympics over the years. Allison Felix now going for 11 medals, could pass Carl Lewis as the most decorated track and field Olympian of all time. And it, it's really a, a, a point to be celebrated, I think, as Americans, that this is what's going on. These are the opportunities we give our women. Uh, I started the, the Olympics in one show saying, look at our basketball team. Our women's basketball team hasn't lost a game in the Olympics since 1992, which must have been a tough year for them being overshadowed by the Dream Team Dream and then team. losing a game. But 1992. No, it's a story when our women's soccer team loses because it doesn't happen very often. So when they win a bronze and don't win the gold, that's awful. For them, and I think they reacted appropriately. You know, they were shocked, they were sad because they're not accustomed to losing. Um, I, I just want to, at a time where I think that the U.S. gets raked over the coals for a lot of reasons, and, and we want to focus on injustice in this country, there are signs of justice in this country also. And I'll point to two big signs. One, we're the, the we're the most successful democracy going in the Olympics. Look at the medal count. And look who we're surrounded by as Americans, China and Russia, when it comes to the medal count. And then look at the opportunities in a free country that our female athletes are <clears> afforded. <throat> and as the dad of two daughters, I'm excited about that because there, there are equal opportunities in athletics. And I think that's terrific. And I think that it, it's represented so well every two years now uh, at the Olympics with both the Summer and Winter Olympics and our female Olympians that – seemingly always come through and dominate uh is it bad it's bad in a way to to say that i think this way and we we don't use it as a topic um but with the olympics it's it's almost like uh, it's hush hush and, and here's what i mean I'm, I'm watching and chad's right on the money here i'm watching the the olympics knowing that a lot of these athletes and from the other countries we're forced to do this from like three or four years old. I mean, there's not much of a happy backstory with many of them uh, whenever the announcers are trying to play out the gold medal ceremony and everything else. You know, it, it's, it's sad in a way, uh, as dominant as some of these other countries are um, in the individual sports. Also, the other hush-hush part, and it may not be the same in Tokyo, we'll see, but I mean, they... It's a, it's a backbreaker financially for a lot of these cities as soon as the Olympics leave. And the, it, these, these stadiums become ghost towns and dumps, empty. Um, you know, watching the games, though, I'm all in. I'm invested, and I, I'm, I'm entertained. But at the same time, I know that three or four years down the road, these stadiums that they built and the money spent, you just move on to the next big city, and they sit empty for the most part. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird vibe, watching that, knowing what exactly what you're saying. Like, the the, the Chinese weightlifter that was pumped full of testosterone, not because she wanted to, 
but because she was told to, right? Yeah. If you're doping here, it's a. My guess is it's more of your personal choice. By choice, yeah. Unless it's you know Bud Kilmer and Varsity Blues yeah. forcing yeah. a syringe, and I know it's, the star running back's leg, you know, make him understand type thing. I'm, not everything uh, fits underneath that I same umbrella, you know, but. In, in general terms, I'm saying. This has been a weird Olympics, I think, uh, just overall. There's been times where it seems very normal. Speaking of uh, American Olympians, um, watching uh, the U.S. women's beach volleyball team last night, you know, capture gold. Uh, it, it's it's normal and it's not with no fans there. Well, the no fans part, that's, yeah, that's then, it. But then you watch other things, I'm thinking, you know, gymnastics seems normal watching it for the most part. Uh, swimming seem pretty normal. But then you see those overhead shots of Tokyo where no one's on the streets. Right. Then you realize, oh, it's a city on lockdown. There's mm -hmm. no traffic. You know, you're not looking at traffic. You're not looking at people crowding the streets. Uh, it's really been a weird Olympics from that perspective. And, and for a lot of reasons, the ratings have been down. Uh, but I also want to hit on another event that I think really captured the imagination of the Outkick 360 yesterday. And you know what I'm talking about. It's speed walking. Uh, that was remarkable. I, I turned it on. I sent it to Reed and Hutton to watch. Uh, I had it I, on last night at the at an event. Uh, Hutton saw I it saw on it. TV. I was watching it uh, with sound and then later without sound. I think Reed turned it on and stuck with it for hours on end. I, I have never been at the same time both confused. There's not just both. There's multiple elements of this. Confused, um, captivated. And just entranced with an event like I was speed walking at the Olympics. The Chinese gentleman that was out in front for the race I was watching, I swear it looks like, you know when you take a, a walking horse competition and those horses aren't walking naturally? Yeah. That there's a, you feel like there's something very wrong that's been done to that horse yes. to make them walk that way? Because it's almost like their hooves are independent of their body, and that's not a natural. <laughs> floating. That's not a natural walking motion for a horse. I'm watching speed walking. I'm thinking this is not natural for any human. They, they look like Gumby, their legs at times. It looked like they had no knee cartilage, and their knees were almost moving and gyrating independent of their body and the hip movement as they're going. So, and I also challenge anyone if you think that they look funny while they're speed walking. Speedwalk. There's no way to not look like that. That's not an act. They're not putting on some front, like trying to play it up for the camera. They're mall walkers. Like, you're going to look like that if yeah. you try to walk without a foot coming up off the ground or two at any time, and you do the speed walking motion. I, I, was, I was into it. People are making fun of it. How is this Olympic sport? But just from the sheer majesty of watching this event, I hope speed walking never goes away from the Olympics. And I also like that it seems like it's a home for the marathon long-distance runner that gets a little bit older and can't do that anymore. Because I'm thinking, does someone go to speed walking at an early age? There's no way. I think it's a broken-down marathon runner. Like, I'm looking at these athletes, and I'm thinking, it's people who can't run long-distance anymore. But there's a they rhythm to it. They phase out, and they phase into speed walking. Mate, so do you, I looked up the history of, of race walking is okay. what it's called. Uh, speed walking. Yeah. So, according to Olympics.com, Race walking is believed to have originated in the Victorian era, which would have been 1830s, 1840s, um, all the way up to probably well, 1900. Uh, Victorian era, when noblemen used to bet on their footmen who walked alongside their employer's horse-driven coaches, and you would bet on that guy to outwalk the other guy and the other walking next to the other coach. And that would determine the winner. And it became, it made its way to the United States in the late 19th century, and then it became like a, a sport. What a great origin story. It's basically a bunch of rich dudes sitting around with their servants saying, my guy can outwalk your guy next to a horse and just sitting there drinking scotch and watching their hired hands race each other while walking. Yeah. No, 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 that's a foot up. He's disqualified. I can see them arguing over. He's got two feet off the ground right there. He's out. That's a run. That's not a walk. I love that it's also known as pedestrianism. 
Is that what it says? Yeah. Another name for it in England <laughs> is pedestrianism. Are you guys getting this off of Wikipedia? Is that where this is coming from? Because this sounds like the most illegitimate Wikipedia. Uh, I'm, I'm, read, I'm, like I'm reading. Uh, to me, it sounds completely legitimate. Like, well, I, I, I hear that. Well. I'm like, oh, that this, makes sense. This dates back to America and, and the land of Jakob Swanson in Minnesota when the first mall was invented back in the <laughs> 1950s. That's where this all started. This started in a mall somewhere. This was not a Victorian age. Let's bet on our service. I, I am reading this from Olympics.com and the origin. Now, once it made once be, it be made careful, it to the United States once it made it to the United States, uh, New York City, March of 1879, <laughs> crowds watch participants competing in a six-day walking race at Gilmore's Garden, New York City, and it looks like an outdoor mall. <laughs> it looks. I mean, that's that's what the this depiction looks like. But to Chad's point, that this is this is the perfect <laughs> event for the runner who has aged oh. a little bit because we saw our guy uh, Lao Yadong from China oh, jump an early Hang lead. On. His inexperience uh, jumping out that early did not pay off because he soon got passed. We need we need to have this guy on the show or at least maybe a, a special podcast. Matthew Algio, author of the book Pedestrianism: When Watching People Walk, was America's favorite spectacle. <laughs> <laughs> when watching people walk was America's favorite sp Oh, not spectacle. When watching people walk was America's favorite spectator sport. Uh, and he did an interview with NPR for this, as you would expect. Um, from pastime to the activity was eventually formalized in England. And it goes back to the origin story. Look, I'm all in. Uh, I, was, I was watching this, and Reed and I were both perplexed in how this Chinese guy was so far ahead of everyone because there was no separation. It's like everyone was completely equal in one big pack. And the Lao, was that the guy? Lao Yadong. Lao Yadong was so far ahead of everyone else. And I'm thinking, how did he get this lead on the pack? It was amazing so, to watch. I'm, I'm in. I'm going to continue watching every, every four years. So, uh, and again, I'm learning this sport in the moment. Um, in race walking, athletes must always have one foot in contact with the ground at all times, which that keeps you from running uh, as visible to the human eye so the human eye picks up anything slower than 0.6 seconds your eye can catch anything that is slower than 0.6 seconds so the quickest lifter foot lifter is going to be okay within the rules you have to push the envelope if you want to live and win on the edge that from one of the athletes. Look, these guys all look like Andy Bernard in the Rabies 5K. <laughs> That's what this looks like. I, mean, I, I can simultaneously say I question this sport's uh, <laughs> legitimacy and that they were all moving faster than I can currently <laughs> run right now. Doesn't this also just beg for a Will Ferrell, uh, Jason Sudeikis, Absolutely. Will Forte type mock-up movie, uh, a mockumentary about it, or just a funny movie uh, a la Dodgeball, uh, what is it, Blades of Glory? About male figure skating. Yep. Like, this is a sport that is screaming for someone to have a parody movie of this sport and get all the funniest people in, in the world to come together and have different nationalities of a huge speed walking. Uh, I, I want, like, the, uh, was it Chaz Michael Michaels in Blades of Glory? <laughs> I want the bad boy. I want, like, Will Ferrell to Jacob play the bad Swanson. boy of speed walking, right? That's talking trash to everyone. I mean, it's, it's begging. For this type of thing, maybe we get together and write this movie. It, it writes itself when you watch the competition. Jacob, your thoughts? Uh, there is an amazing episode of Malcolm in the Middle where Hal discovers speed walking, and it's <laughs> one of the best episodes of television ever. <laughs> Need to watch it. <laughs> We're on it. We're taking all recommendations today on on shows for What's the weekend. The, the actor from The Hangover, Ken Jeong, I yeah, think. Yeah. Ken Jeong could play. Lao Yadong in an actual movie about it, and they could parody it up. Like he needs to play the you know the Chinese speedwalker. I'm just casting ideas are running through my head right now of the different people you could get to play. Sasha Baron Cohen played a French race car driver that was going from Formula One, yeah. or as he said, I think Formula Une, Une. <laughs> to NASCAR. Right? Like Sasha Baron Cohen could play any number of nationalities in this speedwalking competition. It'd be hilarious. Coming up I'm on the in. show, by the way, phone lines, we have them if you want to use them, 855-208-8806, 208-8806. You can join us this hour. Next hour, packed with football from Knoxville to Nashville, uh, from the Vols to the Titans. We're going to talk Brady in just a moment. He, he had some comments, and he's not wrong, but I think the timing of 
Tom Brady making the comments on the NFLPA, which we'll explain coming up, uh, is part of the problem. And, and we'll lay this out. Also, Peyton Manning will be inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame this weekend. We actually had football last night uh, in Canton. Uh, Brady's going to be at Manning's induction. We'll tell you more about that. Plus, is this SEC expansion good for the sport of college football? That's all straight ahead on OutKick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton, live from Studio G, Nashville, Tennessee, Blackbird Studio and the Blackbird Academy. Tom Brady on Instagram, Chad, uh, calling out the NFLPA, and he's not wrong here. Let's set this up, uh, not with the post yet, but the backstory. Forbes came out and said that the average NFL team, uh, the value went up by 14% on team and organizational franchise value. Now consider <laughs> that league revenue was down last year in the pandemic year. They got through the season, value of franchises went up, and the salary cap went down. So the players get less, had to take and restructure some contracts. We know the backstory there. And we also know the TV money is going to be great for the players. Um, that they will get a bigger piece of that pie, uh, which will raise revenue in, in the foreseeable future. That's, that's, that's fine. But when you see the headline from Forbes that the average NFL team, not the top, we're not talking Dallas, the average team is worth $3.5 billion in 2021. Tom Brady put this out on Instagram, on his Instagram story, and I wholeheartedly agree with him. Um, he says the salary cap dropped by 20% and the new media deals were announced the day after the 2021 salary cap was set. NFL players better wake up. He tags the NFLPA. NFL players are ignorant. And he's copied a Forbes story where you see the average value of the NFL franchise up 14% despite revenue drop. Um, but Chad, the timing of this is part of the problem. Because the quarterbacks are the ones who can really control the narrative when it's negotiation time when it's time for that collective bargaining agreement to be agreed to down the road. And calling out the NFLPA now, it's okay, but it, it's not helping the cause for the players. The quarterbacks would be the ones in that control. You could also say, and I, I mentioned this earlier this week, and someone said, oh, what if all the left tackles in the league chose to, to do exactly what you're saying the quarterbacks could do? They could too, and the quarterbacks would side with them. But that, that top 10 quarterback group, Chad, if they all spoke out the same way Brady's doing, and Brady, by the way, praised Amore Smith whenever they were negotiating the last CBA deal, um, if they all had this sentiment moving forward when it was actually time to negotiate, they would actually get a better deal done overall for the entire league, not just their positional group. Yeah, I mean, Brady's not wrong, but he's also not right uh, if he's crying foul. Uh, the system and the CBA, the way it's set up, it doesn't work for the players. Right. Uh, oftentimes, and they agreed to it. You're so, right. Yeah. So he, but they agreed to it, and uh, you know, value is different than revenue, right? Right. I mean, we, you could argue, um, you know, revenue is a hard fact. This is what we're making with current TV deals. This is what we made in ticket revenue. Mm -hmm. This is what we make in apparel. This is what we base the salary cap off of, and I think that's what you sh should base the salary cap off of, actual revenue. Value is very abstract. You know, this is like economic impact. You know, you get done with this economic impact and say, well, this event brought in this much money to a city. You know, the Dallas Cowboys, part of the value of them is, is some abstract things also when Forbes is looking at overall value. But, I mean, Brady is 100% right to say, boy, isn't it funny that they released the new media deals <laughs> The moment after the salary cap is announced and you're crying, not crying poverty with right, the NFL, right. but well, you're bemoaning the fact that revenue is down because of a pandemic and because of uh, no fans or lack of fans. So I, I totally get what Brady's saying. The, the only real solution to it is for the players to be smarter and those representing the players to be smarter and to take a little bit more ownership of their league. But I'll go back to a point that I've hammered on throughout. For the fan, I'm looking strictly through the lens of the fan. 
which people watching this show are fans. Most of them aren't NFL players or coaches. They're not agents. They're not the, the league. They're not the NFL. Sports are better when owners control them. It's, I'm sorry if that offends some out there, but when players own the league... It's the NBA. The sport is diminished. The NBA got worse as players took control of the league. The NFL, if players had more control and ran it, would probably lead to a worse product. Why is that? It's because owners look out for money. That's it. They want to get richer. They want to make more revenue. What makes you richer and gives you more revenue? A better product. What's the product for? The fans. So I'm not sitting here saying, you know, players don't need to get their fair share. They shouldn't have ownership over. They should. And Tom Brady is right. But this is about unintended consequences also. We talked about this a lot with the NCAA. Sports are better when the owners are in control. Most of the time when they're in control, things run better. Why? Because owners only care about money. And what makes them money well, are eyeballs on television and streaming. And what makes them money are people going to games. And what leads to that is a better product. And that's ultimately what they're out for. The better product, which leads to more money. Players are more into what? And rightfully so. More money for them. Which doesn't always lead to what's best for the fan and what's best for the, the league. Well, what the players have done recently is they, they don't have any leverage in the NFL. And they, they had very little to begin with. But think... Think about all the, the discussion of new contracts, players wanting to, to be traded, um, Rodgers thinking about retiring. You can't skip practice. You can't hold out because it's a $50,000 per day fine, and that adds up fast. Um, meanwhile, the NFL players can look around. A great example would be the Atlanta Hawks just gave John Collins a five-year, $125 million contract. Props to John Collins, but outside of Hawks fans and the hardcore NBA fan, no one knows who John Collins is. Five years, $125 million. Chad, looking at contracts in the NFL, player career earnings, how many non-quarterbacks topped $125 million in their career? The answer is five. Five non-quarterbacks topped the money that John Collins is getting for the Atlanta Hawks. Indomitian Sue, wow. Von Miller, Julio Jones, Trent Williams, and Calais Campbell actually earned the money when they signed. You can have some outrageous terms on an NFL deal. It doesn't mean you're getting every dime. Um, far from it. But And Calais Campbell gets that by longevity. Sure. Right? I yeah, mean, that's not, that's not like the huge, all huge Yeah, these are career earnings. Longevity. So non-quarterbacks have zero leverage in the longevity game, even if you're able to get that career mark. And these are great players. Um, they're not even scratching the surface of what we're seeing in other leagues. Meanwhile, Brady's pointing out the obvious. The NFL owners continue to see their franchises balloon. I mean, it's you've got a $7 billion team in the Dallas Cowboys. It's probably more than that now uh, because it's a, a, a new day. The sun came up and the Dallas Cowboys value went up. To Chad's point, it's just a big number. Jerry Jones isn't selling the Cowboys. But the average NFL team is now worth $3.5 The Atlanta Hawks are worth $1.5. So when you compare the two leagues, ownership, player distribution, the NFLPA can get a bigger chunk of the pie but it's got to come from the top players in the league, the quarterbacks, that band together and say, we are not going to just sit around anymore and post things on social media whenever Forbes comes out with their latest list every year. That's, that's the only way this changes. So while Brady's not wrong, the timing really doesn't matter right now. Speaking of that, uh, his timing, he's in Canton. He's going, he'll, he'll be sitting in Peyton Manning's family section uh, watching the speech. Um, and family and friends and former teammates. And I think Peyton had a good line. He was like, he'll be sitting with a lot of my former teammates from Indy, and I'm not sure how they're going to feel about that. But um, it's, a, it's a great gesture by, by Tom Brady to go and, and watch Peyton go into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so uh, I was reading about this this morning, and I saw Peyton on the broadcast say that about the, the joke, the comedy immediately followed yeah. after saying that Brady would be there. Um, Look, this is another chance for Peyton Manning to uh, exceed our expectations, which he will. 
uh, it's just amazing. It's remarkable to me that from a public speaking, um, commercial, you know, what whatever level of presentation you want to put on Peyton Manning and what he does with uh, a retirement address, with signing with the Denver Broncos, with an announcement to stay for a senior year at Tennessee. He always exceeds expectations mm-hmm. with how he performs, and the the expectations and the bar is already so high for Peyton Manning, and he always jumps over it. He's going to do it again Sunday night with his Hall of Fame speech. Uh, I love that Tom Brady's going to be there. I think the final numbers of their career head-to-head was 11-6. and six. Brady was against him head-to-head, but but Peyton Manning had the edge in the playoffs. I think he's 3-2 and two against Brady head-to-head in the playoffs, which is probably a stat that shocks a lot of people given Brady's many more championships uh, than Peyton Manning. But, yeah, it's it's going to be a really cool event this weekend. I love Hutton that you're going to have the 2020 class Saturday night, 2021 class Sunday night, so that 2020 mm-hmm. class, because of COVID last year, didn't get their moment, they're going to get that moment in full this weekend. Well, and, and I, I read where they're asking the inductees um, to keep their speeches to like six to eight minutes. Forget that. I... I'm on the other side of this where let these guys get up there and, and talk and think whoever they need to think for as long as they need to in this moment. Um, I understand it can be boring at times and not every player, not every former player or coach or, or league official uh, is someone that you're interested in listening speak for 30 minutes. But if you're reaching this level, and that, I'm saying this for like any Hall of Fame at any level. Allow that person to get up there and say what they would like to say in that 30-minute time span. I, I don't like the fact that they're saying, hey, keep it to six to eight minutes, because you miss out on some great speeches like Chad's alluding to with Peyton. I, I want him to take his time and, like you're saying, raise the bar. Well, and I, I'm not, I've never been one to watch this live or, uh, you know, I always go back and watch the highlights well, it depends and watch who it individual is. speeches. Yeah. I'm watching Sunday night yeah. uh, with Peyton, and it's, I mean, look, I'm... I'm a Tennessee guy, so that has a lot to do with it. But it's also Peyton Manning, and he's he's going to give a great speech. I can't think of anyone that I go into it thinking this person's going to give a better speech than what Peyton Manning's going to give on Sunday night. And there's been great ones in the past. That's not to diminish other speeches at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There have been a lot of terrific ones. The ones that are bad now would almost stand out because most of them are very good. The bar is just so high for Peyton Manning, I think he's going to be even better. Uh, than most of those. With it's his also ability to tell a story, to be funny, yeah, uh, and to also be uh, in the moment and, and show the right emotion that goes into an accomplishment like this. I'm I'm excited to watch. We'll get PK's thoughts on this as a Hall of Fame selector uh, coming up in hour number two. Um, isn't it also odd that Tom Brady is going to be sitting watching Peyton Manning as a current player, like? That's still hard for me to get my head around. It's been five years since Peyton played. Uh, Peyton's only a year older than Tom Brady. He's 45. Brady just turned 44. Brady's coming off of another Super Bowl, and he's watching Peyton, his contemporary. I mean, there are books written about both of them and their rivalry. <laughs> and he's sitting in the crowd watching Peyton where he, you know, and Tom, what, is he playing until 45? We're six years away from Tom's speech. I mean... It's crazy to think about. I, and I just, Tom Brady, uh, talking about how Peyton Manning exceeds expectations with speeches, uh, and he was a pretty good quarterback mm-hmm. also. But Tom Brady, I, I, I've said it before, I think he's playing at least 50, only because the, the, whatever the bar is for what you want to set in your mind for Brady, he's going to surpass it, and he's going to surpass it by a mile. And he does not look like he's showing any signs of falling off. Look like it at the end of his time in New England, but really, that was just supporting cast, and he's yeah. uh, re-energized now in Tampa. So, who knows? I mean, look, I, I would say he's going to play this year, maybe next, then retire. And like you said, Hutton, six years from now, Peyton Manning will be an invited guest of Tom Brady as he delivers yeah. his speech as a, becoming a part of the NFL or the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But who knows with him? I mean, it could, it could go longer than that. Uh, I watched highlights. I did. I raised my hand. I watched highlights of the game last night. Uh, mainly just to see Najee Harris run. And he wasn't in there very long. Um, but Najee Harris looks like Najee Harris of Alabama and Pittsburgh. Chad, from the, from the draft, we were doing the show here at Blackbird. You said Najee Harris is one of your favorite picks of the draft because of the team he's going to play for and the impact he will have on that run game. 
It's a Steelers team that won 12 games last year. Roethlisberger says he feels better, right? He's not pressing. Um, he thinks he's in really good shape. Uh, if that's the case, and they hit on Harris because they didn't have a run game last year, I think we're sleeping on Pittsburgh a bit. I think well, there's this assumption that they're falling off a cliff, but if they hit on that rookie pick with Harris in, in the backfield, that could be the difference. It made perfect sense in the lead-up to the draft. I mean, I, I, I had him pegged for Pittsburgh because it just seemed too perfect. Yeah. That Najee Harris would be there, and he'd fall right in the lap of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it'd be the perfect pick, and that's the perfect organization for, for Harris to succeed. And I think that's going to be the case with him and his career. Um, I also want to say this just about football being on television again. Um, there's something really remarkable about it. I get home last night from a wedding rehearsal, and I, I turn on Fox, and I'm watching the second half of this meaningless I know. Hall of Fame game, and I am overjoyed with it. I know Clay Travis tweeted out, well, congratulations, there's going to be football on every weekend from now until February. Mm-hmm. And I remember turning to the game, and my wife looks at me and says, what is this? And I said, it's an NFL game. And she said, is it now? Is this happening right now? I said, yes, it's the first. And she was like looking at her uh, Fitbit to see what the date was. And I'm like, it's August. This game happens in early August around the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I think that was the reaction of many Americans last night was, oh, it's now? Oh, it's back. It's, it's happening? Like this is not – because you turn it on and you see fans mm-hmm. in the stands. Is this a replay? Is this really happening? Uh, how is their football on right now? It's that startling – moment where football is there it's not fully there i get that the labor day weekend when you're watching actual college football regular season games that's to me when it's the true arrival of football season the nfl season shortly to follow but isn't it really cool just to turn on your television and see football on again even if it's a meaningless i love season game i love it there's yeah. just something about it last night where and i joke about my wife saying that but i kind of had the same right like oh this is really happening here we are it's august and it's football season. Well, there's also the culmination of, okay, now it's time for a game. Well, we didn't have preseason games last year. You have the training camps and the daily coverage and the reports. You want to see teams progress through the, through the, through the long month of August to get to week one on September the 12th. Um, so that's just part of it. And then we have Hard Knocks that debuts next week, I believe, uh, with Dallas. So they were there at the, the Hall of Fame game in Canton. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad football's back. I don't need five preseason games. I don't need three or four. Uh, I'm okay with two if they want to reduce it by another game and add another regular season game, which I think they'll eventually do. It'll be 18-2. and two. They'll get to 20, uh, but just with more impact on the regular season. I wish we could speed that process up a bit. Other than that, um, I'm with you, Chad. I'm, I'm flipping around, and at least I'm at least eager to see Najee Harris run the ball. That, that's it. Um, and it was a boring game I, I, based on the final score, what, 16-3? Yeah. <laughs> or, or something like that. Um, uh, by the way, you can bet preseason. I'm, I'm going to be – I'm going to fall into this well of betting preseason on FanDuel. Um, it's, you're going you're gonna to take the plunge? I am. You're yeah. Uh, right now the Titans are favored by one against the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> I saw uh, that. And I, I, my first instinct was don't do it. <laughs> Don't do this. Do not start betting on preseason football. Uh, yeah. But then there was a voice in the back of my head saying, do it. You know you want to. Take the Titans minus the one is what I saw on FanDuel. Uh, I haven't done it yet, Hutton, but I might soon. I might soon. We're a week away from that game. Uh, so uh, maybe Jakob Swanson puts, puts together a parlay. Speaking of the parlay, Chad's got it today. He's got a winner for us that will take us through the weekend. Also, um, it's good to have football back, but a, a, a discussion – that we can break down a, a number of different ways for the SEC. Is the SEC saving or ruining college football? We'll dive in. You can join us as well on Twitter at Outkick360. On YouTube, join us in the chat there as well. That's all straight ahead. Outkick360 rolls on. Outkick 360, 15 minutes away from VolQuest's Brent Hubs and Austin Price bringing us the latest from the Tennessee Volunteers football practice. We'll have a thorough discussion there. Then Paul brings it from Titans practice where Bud Dupree uh, spoke with the media, also debuted today. He's off PUP, 
We'll get the very latest from Paul on Dupree and everything going on at Titans practice today uh, after their day off. SEC expansion, we love it just because of the super conference idea. But as we peel back the layers, Chad, you asked a great question earlier this week in a, in a text. Is it saving or ruining college football? It's not just about football, but it is. And the future of the sport, what does the SEC expansion, because we both agree they're not, we don't think they're stopping at 16. Where's the sport headed in the grand scheme of things? First, I want to clarify something. You love it. I don't. Oh, you don't love it. I don't love it. I love it for two separate things. I love it for the SEC. Okay. It's great for the SEC's business model. It's perfect, and it's a no-brainer move for the SEC. I don't love the move, though. I know you love the move, Hutton, coming from more of that NFL perspective to have the super conference. The NFL is one big super conference, right? Mm -hmm. So you're getting closer to that in college football. I understand that. I don't love it because... What is good for the SEC isn't necessarily good for all of college football. And now you're hearing a lot of this from every other conference. One of the things I love about college football is regionalism. I love that you can get into a heated debate with your in-laws from Ohio or Michigan or Nebraska or Wisconsin about the South and about the SEC. These are one of, this is just a few of the things that makes college football what it is throughout the history of college football. And I think that having that tribalism within regions of the country is a good thing. We started to see that facade cracking in 2011, 2012 with the first round uh, of everyone, uh, the realignment, the redistribution of college football power in, in a certain sense. But we're going to see a lot more of that now. So what is good for the SEC is adding Texas and Oklahoma. There is no doubting that. It is good for the bottom line. It's good for Greg Sankey and the SEC to have more power. I don't think that they're helping college football with this. I think because they're doing what is going to put them in a position to be the power in college football, what they are causing now is a chain reaction of self-preservation. We had the idea on day one, Hutton. You brought it up. Big 12, Pac-12, they need to merge now. They need to start talking about that. Well, guess what? They're doing There are reports out about them merging. They have Not to. good for college football. Good for self-preservation for those individual schools. What they need to do, not good for college football. I'll say this about Notre Dame. I like that they're independent. Why? I don't know because it's been that way for a long time. Why do we like a lot of things in sports? Because it's been that way for a long time. Because I can go back 25, 30 years and talk about Penn State football versus LSU football. They're in different parts of the country. They have different sensibilities. They're different schools. They're in different conferences. When you argue Texas, who's the real UT? Tennessee and Texas. You argue that from the standpoint of one is in the, in the power conference SEC, one's in the Big 12. Yes, one has more money. Yes, one has more national titles. But yet Tennessee's in the SEC. When you combine the two, it cheapens those debates that has fueled this sport for years and years. So the big question of, is the SEC saving or ruining college football? The SEC is capitalizing on an opportunity that's been created by outside forces from college football. The NCAA is dead. The Supreme Court said so. Name, image, likeness is in the sport now. That's caused a lot of uncertainty. When there's uncertainty, you can be defensive or you can go on offense. The SEC is always going to go on offense when things are uncertain. I understand that, and I think nine times out of ten, that's a good route to take. But when the SEC starts going on offense like they are now, and this isn't done, Tennessee head baseball coach Tony Vitello said as much yesterday, they're going to add, the SEC is going to add more. This isn't the end of mm -hmm. this. You're doing what's right for your bottom line and for your power, but when individual entities do these things, it's not necessarily good for the whole. And I don't think this overall is going to be good for the sport. Good for the SEC, not good for the overall sport. Is it ruining the sport? I don't think so. I don't want to speak in those grand terms of this is going to be the overall demise of college football. But one of the reasons that I love college football and so many others love it is for the history, is for the tradition. And part of that history and tradition is this sense of, of tribalism, of regionalism, that I think is about to be wiped clean from the sport. 
And it all started with this domino. Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. Big 12, Pac-12 merger probably going to happen. Big 10, ACC going to look out for themselves. Some are going to jump on board the SEC. Others will jump on board the Big 10. And we're getting closer and closer to these conferences not mattering. Well, I I understand exactly what you're saying. The, the nostalgia of the 90s in college football is dead. Like that, I, I loved college football in the 90s. But that, that's going to lose no matter what. We're losing the nostalgia of that regional base and the regional rivalries and the, the fabric of what we grew up with, right? That's going away if Texas and Oklahoma stayed in the Big 12, right? We, we, it, to me, it's hard to grasp that aspect no matter what decision, what direction, whatever path college football goes down. Um, I also view it from the the idea that I would prefer to see Texas schedule Tennessee on a it, out of it, for an out of conference matchup instead of watching Texas take on uh, Texas San Antonio or UTEP because I've long maintained it, it, it is not Tennessee's problem that MTSU gets a payday. It is not all up to Kentucky if they want to play Western on a random Saturday. I'm not into those games. The, I, I want the high marquee matchups. I would prefer that the SEC find a way to do an all-conference schedule, period. I would love that as a college football fan because I'm seeing best against best instead of waiting and weeding through a couple of weeks where you have a homecoming game that you need as a guaranteed win and uh, UTEP needs a payday, so they're going to travel and make that make that uh, Northwestern State's going to get a million dollars to play LSU. I'm just, uh, to me, that that is a part of what has ruined the fabric of college football more so than the conference realignments, Chad. And well, so, and so if we're going to have the realignment, I'd rather I, I see. I don't think it's ruining or saving, but I think there's a way to go about it to where you maximize what they're doing. And to me, it's a conference-only slate. You add four more teams, and you go all in with the chips. Well, look, and there's been, I mean, you can go through the history of the sport, and there's always some pundit saying, this is the death of the sport. Right, right. Right. Uh, scholarship limitations. This is the death of the sport. We'll never see the college Title football Title IX. Yeah. This is the death of right. college football because resources are going to be funneled elsewhere. Uh, a playoff. This is the death of college football because now not every week means everything to every team. <laughs> right. So I, I, I get, I don't want to be grandiose in saying, I'm not stating this is the death of college football, but this is the death of college football as I know it. Mm-hmm. And this is the death of many things I love about college football. You make a compelling case, Hutton, and I get it. It's much better to have 12 SEC games for the common fan. It's going to lead to a lot more compelling matchups than when Georgia plays Georgia Southern, for instance. I, I, I get that. But you also have to ask the question, when is just being different a good thing? If we start to mimic the top of everything, if college football completely mimics the NFL and says, we're going to have a 50-team, one super conference based on region, central governing body, we're going to make your schedule for you, and you're going to be just like the NFL. A lot of people would do backflips and say, great, I love the NFL, that's perfect, that's terrific. I would make the same argument that people say about baseball. Make every ballpark uniform. Why are baseball parks different? Why is there different distances? Why are there nooks and crannies in certain outfields? Why is there less foul ground? It's one sport. Every park should be different. No. I love baseball because it's different. I love baseball because it's daily. I love it because it's different. I love it because every park has its own distinctive flavor and personality. I'll say the same about college football. This is not a sport that I want it to be messed with where everything is uniform and the same. I kind of like Big Ten fans bitching about the SEC having one less conference game and playing Furman in November for for, uh, for their homecoming and getting that break at the end of the season. I love these little divisive decisions that each conference makes that anger someone else. I like my team having a couple of easy games. I know that is sacrosanct for many that you want to be challenged week in and week out and you want to have no I like stacking wins also as a fan of a certain team I'm also 100% in agreement with you Hutton that this is what's best for cachet this is what's best for week in week out top 10 top 20 matchups 
everyone all in, everyone watching on streaming or television every week. But what I would caution college football against is you got to ask the question, where is different good? Where is different bad? If you completely mimic the NFL, I don't think that's a good thing because there are a ton of people like me out there that celebrates the difference in college football from the NFL. You know, and, and I like the differences. I, I enjoy the college football fabric sport, right? Like that. there's a – you root for your team. It doesn't matter it, – it, it's ride or die. You know, it's not bandwagon. It sometimes is. The Alabama football fan may be a Kentucky basketball fan. But in general terms, it's ride or die. Um, but 90% of the non-conference scheduling that's done sometimes a decade out bores me. I, I would rather see super conferences formed, and if they're going to do it, and they are, play just the conference schedule within the super conference. To me, that's the point of doing it. Don't form a super conference and then load up with you know a couple winning uh, winning matchups against UTC. I don't I don't see the value in that. Um, but I I haven't seen the value in that for years. And we also haven't seen the '90s style of you know running backs and you know uh, diverse offenses. Yeah, we haven't seen that in a long time. That's long gone. Even before we bring up the discussion about Texas and Oklahoma jumping to the SEC. Um, so the, the question is, how do you make the most out of what they're doing? I, it's not ruining it. Um, to me, it's going to raise the popularity, but the nostalgia is gone. Well, and, and Hutton, we're going to go to Knoxville you know, mm-hmm. a couple times this year. We'll, we'll be up there for the first game on September 2nd. Details to come uh, about that trip. Um, college football feels a little different to me right now. and It's not like uh, I need to go – take a shower because it feels dirty different it's just different it's just on the table now i'd be lying to myself if i didn't think that all of the nil stuff yeah. and everything else just makes it feel very different and players having so much more of a say feels different i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm just saying from my perspective as a college football fan it does feel different i look forward to getting up to an actual game around actual fans physically in a stadium and seeing how normal it feels or am I going to go watch this game and still feel like, boy, this feels different. This feels a lot different than when I was in school. It feels different than 10 years ago. It feels different than five years ago. My guess is that it's not going to feel that different when I'm actually watching the sport and watching the games. At least I hope that's the case. But I am a little bit nervous about what all of this is going to signal. And this is not the last change. And, and for that matter, sports, they're going to continue to evolve. I mean, I see a day where you are going to have 15 to 20 exceptions on your football roster. And those are people that don't go to your school. <laughs> I think you're going to pay. I think you're going to have a salary cap of 20 exceptions. They don't go to class. They don't care. They don't want an education, don't need it. They don't think they need it, even though they might need it. And you're going to be paying them to play for your institution and live in that city, in that market. That sounds far-fetched right now to people. But if I told you five years ago that the quarterback who had not started a game in Alabama was going to have a seven-figure deal while in school, you'd have said, well, that's crazy. That's never going to happen. Companies aren't going to spend that much money. It's just not going to be the case. Watch out. These little changes that seem little and some seem bigger than others lead to enormous changes down the line. Quarterback battle on the hill in Knoxville. That's where we start. That feels normal. Tennessee not having a starting quarterback Feels very normal. Actually, when Jared Garantano was the starting quarterback and Tennessee fans being pissed off about it, that too was normal. And yep. now not even knowing who your starting quarterback is feels very normal. We're going to get into a normal discussion about a quarterback battle with Brent Hubbs and Austin Price, VolQuest.com, for the first half of the Tennessee Power Hour. Then we will go to Metro Center where the Titans have just wrapped up practice and get the very latest on Bud Dupree, Caleb Farley, and more with PK. He'll jump in in 30 minutes. But... Brent and Austin up next on Outkick 360.